I always want to say you can have a seat, but I don't know if you're standing up or if you're sitting down, so I'll just say make yourself comfy wherever you are. Well, good morning. It has been a very thought-provoking and, and sad week, I would say, this week. Usually, I don't like to make a big deal about the, the things that are trending on social media when I'm standing up here at church. But this week, I feel it is really important that we have a conversation about what is being talked about in the world right now. On Monday, the 25th of May, less than two weeks ago, many of us were grieved and, and shocked by the awful video of George Floyd, who was killed by a police officer in America. And I didn't watch the whole video. I couldn't do that, but what I did see was traumatic. And I know that George Floyd is just one of many black people in America and around the world who has been brutally killed and unfairly treated for his race. On Tuesday this week, we started seeing these black squares appear on Instagram. People were posting these black squares because black lives matter. And they wanted to, to call people to stop posting the usual things in a united cry for justice to be done and value restored to all people. And I'll be honest, I wasn't sure at first if I wanted to jump on the, the black square bandwagon. I thought long and hard about it. I chatted to my friends in America about what she was seeing over there and, and whether or not we thought this was really relevant to, to the situation in the UK. And I'll be honest, like at first I thought, this is an America problem. This isn't a problem over here. But I prayed about it and God stirred my heart for what has broken his. And personally, I can't comment on whether or not police brutality is as much an issue here or to what extent our systems uh, really do favor white privileged people. Those are subjects that I know I'm just not best informed on. But what I do know is that there are many people of ethnic minorities here who often have experiences that cause them to feel like second-class citizens. And I've been so sad this week, hearing stories of friends, local to here, who have been falsely accused maybe followed by the police or had Scottish people in pubs making racist jokes about them. And while that is a reality here, clearly something in our culture is broken and needs to be fixed. I had fears about posting the black square on Instagram because I thought, okay, so I have no doubt in my heart that I love black people. I love people of all races. But who am I to stand up for this cause? Like, surely I'm as white as it gets. And I know that the majority of the people in my social circles are also white, so but there is no doubt that I probably have some blind spots on this issue. But as I read various comments online, this is what caught my attention. It seemed that many of the people who were responding to this outcry weren't responding with self-defense or with justification but a simple, I hear you, I'm sorry, and I'm listening. And I love this response. It reminds me of Paul in Philippians when he says that we're to count others as more significant 
than ourselves, that we are to look to the interests of others, that we are meant to put on humility. And in this church, we have been talking about what it looks like for God to reawaken the land. And so much of that comes down to the people humbling themselves, turning from their wicked ways and crying out for God to heal. So my thought was this. I may not know everything about this issue. In fact, I may have unintentionally even been a part of the problem. And that grieves me. But now I want to listen, to learn, and to join with God in his mission to heal this land. So I posted the black square. And I did this not as a symbol that I'm on a moral high ground or even that I'm perfect and know everything about this, but as a simple acknowledgement that I am listening and I want to be a positive part of changing our culture. Because if anyone here feels like a second-class citizen because of their race, I am not okay with that. And I believe that we as God's people should be seeking God's face for our part in his redemption work here. So to my friends who are a different ethnicity than I am, if you have ever felt put down because of the way you look, I am so sorry. I am gutted. I am gutted for you and that that would be your experience here. And I'm so sorry that so little of my attention has even gone towards acknowledging that that is a reality. And so this is my first step towards trying to help. And I can tell you now that I'm not going to do it perfectly. Uh, I'm aware that the comfort of my own white privilege is so familiar to me that I know that at some point I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to fail to notice that which should be obvious, or I'm not going to take seriously enough what is serious. And so I ask as I make an effort to speak up and to invite our church uh, to, to wake up to this, would you be gracious with me and, and forgive me when I get it wrong and don't say the right thing? But I decided this week that because I believe this issue is burning on God's heart, I would rather start this conversation imperfectly than wait until I feel fully informed to say anything on it. So today I want to focus on two things in particular. One, knowing our history and owning the fact that in this country we are not perfect. And two, as God's people who long to see him heal this land, how should we respond? And there are many faces of racism in our context and history. And so I've chosen to speak about just one of them today. And that is Scotland's history with the slave trade. And more particularly, uh, our relationship with Jamaica as a nation. I'm going to share with you in a second an interview that I recorded over Zoom this week with Tara Devlin. Uh, many of you in our church know Tara and know of her from when she used to live in Glasgow and she worked at Tear Fund. And uh, she and her husband have just actually returned to Scotland, having spent time living in Jamaica. And she is someone who cares deeply about the reconciling of, of Scotland with Jamaican people. And so I'm really excited to share with you some of her perspective on this subject. But first, let's start with a history lesson. The information I'm going to share with you today I found uh, on, mostly from a National Trust Scotland document online. 
Uh, I'd be happy to share that document with anyone if you want to read more about this. But this here is a, a picture of tobacco ships docking at Port Glasgow in the 1700s. And you can see in this picture, uh, there's the Clyde, there's our beloved hills that we see as we drive up the A82 on the way to Loch Lomond when we're allowed to drive more than five miles. Uh, th this is a scene that we know, but yet this is it back in the 1700s. And the Scots and the English began to own land in the West Indies and the, the east coast of America in the 1600s. The Scots owned a lot of tobacco plantations and in the 1700s, as the sugar and the tobacco industries grew, so did the slave trade. So here's an example of how it worked. Here's a, a map of the routes, or one of the, the, the routes that many slave ships would have taken. In fact, this one particularly shows Robert Allison's trade. Uh, now I know a lot of us in this church love to go and hang out at Greenbank Gardens. And you know Greenbank House just outside of Glasgow, a uh, really beautiful place. Well, it was Robert Allison who, out of his wealth from the tobacco industry, built that beautiful big house that we love to go and just run around with our kids with outside. And so Robert Allison, he traded in tobacco and in slaves. He sent goods from Port Glasgow, which you can see up there, to his brother Sandy, who was based in Calibre, which is now Nigeria, who then took slaves on board the ship and sailed to the West Indies and America. And there, William Allison ran a tobacco plantation in Virginia, which was worked by enslaved people. Robert was sent, he, he then sent the tobacco uh, which he sold in Britain and Europe, and Port Glasgow and Greenock were the principal tobacco ports in Britain. So when tobacco became a big deal and everyone in Britain uh, was buying it, it was coming in through Port Glasgow and Greenock. The wealth that was brought into Scotland by the tobacco industry built a lot of the beautiful city that we know and love, and we are proud of it. But that wealth that came at the cost of the brutal treatment of millions of people. And if you read about this online, you can read about the horrific conditions that these people endured from physical hardship to, to sickness, some awful things. And as well as that, their whole cultural identity was wiped off record. Listen to this. The tribal areas had ancient cultures and beautiful artifacts. But those supporting the slave trade system were keen to portray the Africans as inferior people without a culture. Since there was no written history on parchment or paper, it was easy for the traders and others that came after them to suppress the evidence. Can you imagine your entire culture, language, and names being wiped out of history? Like these were people made in the image of God who were creative, intelligent, civilized. And now we have little to no evidence of that. When a person was enslaved, their own names uh, were erased and they took on the surnames of their Scottish plantation owners. And this wasn't some beautiful merging of, of cultures. Uh, this was Scottish people who counted people as their property. And this went on for hundreds of years. On plantations, people were worked to death. 
and then replaced by more slaves that were brought over on a ship. And even when slavery became illegal in the British Empire in 1833, the plantation owners received compensation for the fact that their workforce was taken away from them. And the slaves received nothing. Today, most people in Scotland probably don't think a lot about the horrific injustice uh, from which Scotland prospered and grew on. So why am I bringing this up today? Why, why am I bringing the downer? Because this church exists to lay the foundations for a long-lasting reawakening, and we are crying out to God to heal this land. And although this particular slave trade ended, I believe that if we are to truly see God reawaken our land, then we, as the Scottish people, need to humbly own the fact that this is a part of our history, because there is still brokenness that needs to heal. We read all the time in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Also, I believe that this sticky part of our past was swept under the rug and many of us ignorantly don't realize how much white supremacy has invaded our culture in subtle ways. So if you are white like I am, do you know that whether you like it or not, people of ethnic minorities in Scotland are still often made to feel like second-class citizens? And while that is true, I don't think we should ignore that. I think that we as Christians should be a part of the solution. So I caught up with Tara this week who has recently returned from Jamaica. Let's hear what she's got to say on this. Okay, so we've got Tara with us today. Tara, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Who are you and uh, what's your story and your connection with Jamaica particularly? So uh, my name's Tara Devlin. Some of you might uh, recognise me from having worked for Tearfund for a long, long time in Scotland. Um, And then I stopped doing that a couple of years ago and my husband and I went to Jamaica to work with uh, an organisation called Fusion Jamaica and they... Uh, work in inner city Kingston in Trenchtown uh, doing youth and community work, kids work and so we left to go and and work alongside some of the stuff that was going on there a couple of years ago Um, we'd been to Jamaica once before uh, in 2009-2010 as a little bit of a dipping our toe in the water and so then this was us going back for a slightly longer stint doing something a little bit different um, so we just are back there at the start of lockdown. Coronavirus brought us back a little bit earlier than we had uh, planned, which was uh, a shame. But fresh back from Jamaica, yes. <laughs> back, back in Edinburgh now, is that right? Back in Edinburgh now. Uh, so we've been chatting today about uh, Scotland and Glasgow's history with the slave trade. So you you know a lot about this and you've spent a lot of time in Jamaica. Can you tell me a bit more specifically what is Jamaica's connection with Scotland regarding the slave trade? Um, it's really interesting that when you go to Jamaica and are actually kind of out and about, the first time we went to Jamaica and we lived there, we were driving around the city and, you know, you would just start to come across street name after street name that were Scottish. 
you know, and at first it's like, oh gosh, look at that. Oh, look at that. And then you just take a moment and you think, why are these names here? What, why are there Scottish place names in Jamaica? And then you see more and more and more of them. And then you realize that the people have surnames that are Scottish. Um, there's something like 70% of the Jamaican phone book that is Scottish surnames. Um, and it's there because Scottish people were hugely involved in the kind of operations of slavery and slave ownership, particularly in Jamaica. Scottish people were in other parts of the Caribbean as well, but it feels like, certainly even in my understanding, I think Jamaica was the kind of core place um, where a lot of Scots came, um, either as plantation owners, but also in all of the other parts of of that kind of machinery of slavery, all the kind of other elements of it. Um, and it's just really obvious when you look at a map of Jamaica, when you drive around the streets of Jamaica and when you meet the people of Jamaica, you cannot escape. Scotland is printed on that island. Hmm. So here in Scotland, you have to look kind of harder to see evidence or to notice the um, the signs that the slave trade had, had a connection here. But I guess when you're in Jamaica, it's just everywhere, is it? It is, but I think I think the interesting thing about being in Scotland is that I don't know that we always think to ask why a name is there. Mm. It, I lived on the south side of Glasgow for a long time and drove over the Kingston Bridge every day into my work. Mm. Didn't ever stop and think, why is this bridge called Kingston Bridge? You know, it, because it, just, it was just what it was called. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's true of you know different pockets of of Scotland and of of Glasgow and street names and stuff and it, it's not until then somebody says have you ever thought about why that name is there and you kind of stop and go oh right you know because for us it's it's maybe just our wallpaper if you like you know it's just it's there it's what it is um but as you start to dig into it a little bit more mm-hmm. then I think once you begin to see it you then start to see it everywhere right start to ask those questions much more frequently yeah right so the the slave trade obviously it ended in in some sense it's not still going on right now like it was then but i'm sure you'd agree with me when we say that the slave trade ended but oppression didn't necessarily end so how what's your perspective on um how how well did it end like did it really end well or what negative implications are still lingering? Um, I think there's probably a couple of different things there is that um, it didn't end well. <laughs> you know, we, we certainly in, in the case of Jamaica, I mean, Britain still ruled Jamaica until I think it was 1965, uh, certainly in the middle of the 60s. And, you know, so from 1838, when emancipation was declared till then, Jamaica was still in our... Um, the UK was still in charge in Jamaica and still treating people as a second-class citizen. Um, you know, and, you know, in the years, that there's all kinds of other stuff immediately after slavery where oppression was still horrendous for, you know, decades after that. So there's, there's lots of ways in which nothing has ever been set right from that time. You know, the UK, Great Britain bought its place in the world from that time of oppression 
And in countries like Jamaica, they were put in their place in the world because of what was taken from them um, at that time. And that imbalance has never been addressed, has never been kind of shifted. And so while we are still reaping the benefits of having made our wealth as a nation from that time, places like Jamaica are reaping the negative repercussions of that imbalance because that imbalance has never been changed, has never been addressed. Um, and in Jamaica, they really feel that. They, they are very aware of that. Um, I think it's worth noting that within the um, Jamaican government, there is a reparations committee you know, they they talk about that. They know that it wasn't just the UK. They knew it was Scotland, who particularly in Jamaica had had a hold here. And there is a conversation from their end of what has to happen to put this right. Mm. Um, and that's a conversation that hasn't really ever happened here. It's maybe the beginnings of it is happening. Um, but I think it's worth being aware that it's it's very much a conversation there. Yeah. So for you, when you were living in Jamaica, did you have conversations with people and like, did that come up? Is that something that's talked about or was it like the awkward topic that like people didn't mention or, or what was your experience like? Um, I had a few diff different experiences. Largely, I actually, had, I, I spoke to Jamaicans about it when it, when it seemed appropriate because I, I had really wrestled with this idea of reparation and what, what does reparation look like? Um, and so when I would kind of have conversations with Jamaicans, I would kind of ask them, you know, what does, what do you think reparation looks like? What, what could it involve? Um, and then I had a really interesting encounter one time with a lady in church, my husband was preaching um, and he, he actually said the word restoration, but she misheard him, this lady who was sitting behind me, she thought she heard him say reparation. And I heard her begin to mutter in a kind of disgruntled kind of a way. And I thought, oh gosh. And, and she leant forward to me in the middle of the sermon still and said, what do you know about reparation? You know what reparation means. You knew that Scotland was one of those places that was here and that did this damage. And, you know, I was kind of quite taken aback and I was like, um, yeah, I, I, I do know that and I am aware of that. And I was also quite aware that the church service was still carrying on. Um, and so the conversation ended um, and we stood up to sing a hymn and I, at that point, it was the first time I had felt a little bit put upon and a little bit like, oh my goodness, like she kind of, she really crossed by something and she's directing it all to me. Um, and, and then I had a moment where I just made peace with my white privilege and said, yeah, she has a right to. You stand there and you feel, you feel her anger because mm -hmm. she's about to be cross and maybe you're the first person from Scotland that she's ever met and can say that to um, and after the service, I, I find her and I sat with her and I, you know, I said, what, what do you want to see happen? And she said, well, first off, I want an apology. No one has ever said sorry for what happened here. Um, and, you know, I said to her, look, I, I can't bring you an apology on behalf of the British government. I can't bring you an apology on behalf of the Scottish government, but I can bring you mine. I can bring you my husband's, like, we are sorry for what happened here. We are sorry for what our country did to your country. And 
we will ask our government to make that apology. I don't know if they ever will, but we will ask and we will do what we can to, to try and make amends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, it's a conversation, I think you can tell, has kind of stayed with me and I think will stay with me mm-hmm. uh, for a long time. Um, and, and to not forget, actually, to say, yeah, that's part of what our job is now, is to recognise that that pain is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need, to, we need to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because am I right in thinking, I mean, aside from there really needing to be some sort of public apology on behalf of the nation, uh, there's not really a lot that in Scotland, a lot of like evidence that, that really owns our wrong. Like, um, were you telling me that there is, there's a um, Museum of Slavery in Liverpool that acknowledges that? Yeah. Um, tell me about that. Yeah, so I think, I think a big part of our issue with Scotland is that we've always thought, oh, that slavery wasn't us. That was kind of, it was England, it was, it was London, it was Liverpool, it was Bristol. Um, and, you know, and those cities were hugely involved. But in, in Liverpool, um, all, all of those cities in some way now have some kind of acknowledgement of that past. And in Liverpool, they actually have a, a museum um, to, about slavery. And part of how that came about is that... Um, from the race riots that happened in Toxteth in the 80s and in some of the reconciliation work that was happening after that, you know, the black population of Liverpool were asked, you know, what, what are some of the things that we can do um, to address this issue? And they said, well, this port was a huge port of connected to slavery and there is nothing in this city that acknowledges that. And living here as black people, that is a, a pain a painful thing for us that is a scar how do you think that makes us us feel and so it was actually for them almost a part of reconciliation was for the city to recognize its past and mm. to talk about it honestly and to have a permanent memorial in in the form of a museum set up um to that and how that would inform race relations in the city kind of going forward whereas in scotland there isn't anything anywhere that has openly acknowledged that this is part of our past as well. Um, And, but there are, there are some, there are some moves being made now to try and just start to address that. So um, some people may be aware that within the last couple of years, Glasgow university as an institution has recognized that it was on the receiving end of, of money that was made from slavery and have, acknowledge that and have begun to put various things in place including things like bursaries and a connection with the University of the West Indies to try and find a way to to make that kind of reparation for them as an institution right I think there is at somewhere along the way there is a request maybe to the city of Glasgow mm-hmm. um to the council um if I think if it hasn't happened there's some you know there's, there's some work on that is happening to be able to say we as a city need to recognize that maybe as a city we need to apologize um you know, with the hope that as as all of these things build momentum it may eventually lead to that national level um and maybe an apology from the, the scottish government so there's maybe like individual institutions or cities that have started to at least recognize this injustice for what it is and, and make some steps forward in trying to extend some sort of not that it's going to make things right, but like some sort of actions of like, we see, we're sorry, we're going to try and do something to, to bless you guys 
because yeah. of what we've done. But it's not yet really happened on like a national level in like a big official way. No, not at, not at all. I think the conversation is growing. Um, you know, a, an example that's literally hot off the press from last night um, is that in so in Bathgate, um, they their kind of gala day every year was called Newlands Day. Uh, and Newland was a man who had been born in the town but had gone to Jamaica and made his money from slavery. But part of what he did with that money was that he invested in building the school. So um, Bathgate Academy was built from that money. And so he has always been celebrated as somebody who did good for the town because his money went to build the school. But it's like, it was on the back of slavery, like they always talked about how it always rained on Newlands Day and it was the tears of the slaves. Hmm. That kind of what was talked about. And so there'd been a move, a petition that had been raised to say, actually, we want to rename Newlands Day as something else because we should not be celebrating the name of a man where that money came from slavery. Um, and actually just last night, the committee released a statement to say, yes, we recognise this. We've been talking about it for a long time, but a recent petition and recent circumstances have just kind of pushed us to say we're going to change the name um but even then it's really interesting that you know looking at some of the comments online in response to that largely people are saying yes this is good this is a good thing and it's about time but there are still people for whom they're like no this is our history you're he was a good guy he did good stuff for the for the city mm. and not being able to recognize that, that mo- where that money came from and because of where that money came from and, and that it was made off the backs of slaves in Jamaica, mm-hmm. that that's not s- something to be celebrated, you know? Mm-hmm. And actually by, by recognising that, that's a step in the right direction to kind of owning and reclaiming and redeeming part of our past that is ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, definitely. So I think we, we would definitely agree that this is a major blind spot in our nation and for us as people and there is still a lot of brokenness there's a lot of hurt there's a lot of injustice and and we as Christians we want to cry out to God to heal our land to to make this wrong right to to redeem this story um and so we're spending some time getting informed and so that we can put on humility as we pray and, and recognize uh yeah such a such a wrong um, but how would you suggest that we can pray about this? Um, last night I was really challenged. Um, I was listening to a, a black friend on Instagram who was talking about, from her perspective, looking at a couple of um, bits in the Bible that just, her perspective just gave me something different on them, um, which I think just is a really good thing when we actually have people from other cultures and communities inform how we read the Bible because we have to recognize that our worldview is not the only one and that actually coming from a white western middle class worldview means that we see the Bible through that lens Um, and she was just talking about you know that call that God says like I want you to love your neighbor as yourself and and in these days thinking who is my neighbor and what does it really mean to love them, knowing that actually in, in all that is going on at the moment with kind of race relations and everything, there are neighbours of ours who are suffering from injustice. What does it look like for us as Christians to love them? Because that's what we've been asked to do. Um, 
she was talking about the, the part in Matthew 5 where it's, you know, if you're going to the altar to leave your gift and you have an issue with your brother, you leave your, your gift there and you go and make peace before you come back. And, and I had always just thought of that as this is about me and one other person in my church. And if there's a problem, we have to do that. And suddenly hearing her talk about it made me think of it in a much wider context, made me think of that lady in a church in Jamaica who is cross, is angry with us. Um, and actually, what does it look like for me to kind of come to God and come to bring my gift to the altar, knowing that actually there are brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are looking to us and what we're not doing and what we're not saying and are hurt and angry by that. Um, and, and the same way, the passage in, in 1 Corinthians where it talks about you know examining yourself before you take communion. And again, I'd always just thought oh it's just about examining myself and have I done anything bad today that I need to confess before I come to communion but I think in this week has just shone a much wider light on what it actually means for me to examine myself and to recognize that because of where I come from and and my history there is prejudice in me there just is and I won't know it and I won't recognize it until I examine it and so I think actually the first way we pray about it is by asking God to show us individually and corporately where where our prejudices are, where our sins of, of omission have been, where we have not stood up for something or spoken up for something, where we have let injustice go um, and, and not try to make it right. Um, and then after we, you know, after we've recognised that and then repented of it, you know, for ourselves and on behalf of our nation and on behalf of what's come before to then be able to kind of ask, okay, God, now, now what? Mm-hmm. Now, what do you want me to do? You know, break my heart and mold my heart for these things, but but shape how I speak uh, and how I act in on the way forward from this. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that for all of us white people who've grown up in, in, in Scotland, um, there's a good chance that most people would say I'm not racist. I love people of other races, but yet there is something kind of built into our, our culture or just the way we've experienced life um, that like we, we can't help but see life a certain way that's actually probably not helpful. Like, what would be your your comments on that? I think that's true, and I think part of it, the first part, is just recognizing that that is true. That we might think. You know, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, let's say even the difference between men and women. You know, when you're trying to explain as a woman, maybe to your husband, to your brother, to your father, like you might think we live in the same world, but we don't because I am a woman and I experience things really, really differently than you. And there are things that we might be in exactly the same situation. I find things frightening that you don't because you've never had to be scared of that kind of situation before. Mm-hmm. it's like that but with in in all kinds of other ways where we might think we've shared the same space with people of other you know colors or races or whatever and they're like oh we all live here we all see things the same way we've all experienced things the same way and we just don't at mm-hmm. all we don't experience institutions the same way or systems the same way or authorities the same way um and i think at first it's just being able to recognize that that is just true and then I think one of the things I've been very aware of over these last days has been that call from people to say, you have to do the work now. 
it's not just enough to recognize it. It's not just enough to turn your Instagram square black for the day or whatever it might be. It's actually to then say, I need to do some work to understand. I need to read some stuff that's been written you know, by authors who are, are speaking about this. I need to understand the history of where we've come from. There is work to do for me to broaden my worldview so that it doesn't just assume that everybody's experience has been like mine. Yeah, no, that's good. And can you tell me, like, what are some practical things that we should do to respond? There's, there's the doing the work to get informed, to read about things, to talk to people. Um, but is there anything else practically we can do to turn this corner? I think that where there are... You know, and I'm trying to think in terms of, you know, really specific examples, but, you know, where we see things like the stuff that has happened at Glasgow University, there, there are the beginnings of, you know, petitions, conversations, groups around asking Scotland to recognise its past. I think when we, as we start to dig and as we start to inform ourselves, we'll find people that we can line ourselves up with. Um, to, to ask those questions um, you know I think if you if you just start to google Scotland and slavery or Glasgow and slavery you will begin to find your way to sit to things that you can lend your voice to um, organizations things that are going on at the very least maybe not right now because I think probably Nicola Sturgeon is quite busy but <laughs> when this is all kind of calmed down I know that for me that's one of the things that's on my mind it's like I'm just going to write to Nicola Sturgeon and ask her this question about you know this issue of Scotland's past and an apology one of the big things at the moment I've seen that actually would be a really practical thing I think to do is in terms of recognizing that part of where all of this worldview and white privilege comes from is from what is taught in schools and the fact that our syllabus is it looks like us in all kinds of ways and and particularly for in even in history to be able to say we don't learn about this we don't learn that this was part of Scotland's Yeah, I I learned about it in history. Yeah, and so, you know, to be able to say, do you know what, I'm going to email the education secretary. Mm. I want us to start addressing what our history really looks like and we need to teach kids in history that this is part of our past. Mm. You know, so it's things like that. It's kind of recognising, and different people will have different ways, maybe that for them, depending on what their particular interest is or slant might be, but it's, it's... you know, it's those kind of really practical things of actually speaking to authority to say we need to do something about this. But then also as an individual, you know, once you start informing yourself and recognising this is to be able to say, what does this look like now for me? How do I respond to this? What can I do to, to reach out to the people around me who are my neighbours? What does it look like for me to love the neighbours in my city who don't look like me? Mm-hmm. Um, and ask and that you know coming back to that kind of prayer thing if that's asking God what does it look like for me to respond to this yeah so so yeah Tara thank you so much for your time today thank okay. you for being with us thank you for sharing from your experience and your perspective this has been really really valuable and I really appreciate it my pleasure Tara, thank you so much for recording that interview with me this week. Um, people at home in Rehope Southside, if you appreciate what you just heard Tara sharing, uh, why don't you write in the online chat your personal thanks to her? I'd love to pass that on to her uh, for, for giving her, her time to us this week. Um, yeah, this is so important to talk about. I know that one Sunday at church is not going to be enough. 
to address this issue. But this is my hope for what we can get out of today. I've got three challenges for you. One, in humility, get educated. And I mean like read about our history, Google it. Uh, listen to the voices of ethnic minorities today and put on a humble and teachable posture. Uh, any non-white members of our church, I would love to hear from you if you've got opinions on this, thoughts, insights that you think would be helpful to us, please, please, please get in touch. Number two, let humility, confession, and repentance shape how you pray for reawakening in this land. Now, if you're confused about why we keep talking about uh, praying confession and repentance for sins of the past or sins of our city, um, I actually taught a message on that topic a few months ago. It's in, in a series, uh, a reawakening series, and it's on um, praying from, I think, humility and repentance, something like that is, is in the title. So if you're confused about the theology behind that, uh, feel free to look up that message online. It's on the website, it's on the, the podcasts, uh, so you can listen to that. Also, for any, anyone who is feeling stirred to pray about this and to pray about uh, Glasgow particularly and God healing this land, uh, I am thinking that this is the kind of thing that we should be interceding for, not just here in Rehope Southside, but wouldn't it be great if we could gather with other people across Glasgow who have a heart to see reconciliation here, uh, who, who want to cry out to, to God together and to pray? If you would like to be part of a prayer group uh, with people from other churches praying about this particularly, uh, get in touch with me. I'm, I'm just curious to hear because I'm sure that God's putting this on some people's hearts and I've been chatting to other church leaders as well this week and I'm just wondering whether there's, there's a group of people that we should bring together. So that's number two, pray. And number three, act. Do something. Don't just scroll your phone or, or listen to church. Like, let's be a part of this solution. Seek God for how you can practically respond and, and do something to, uh, in the realm of influence that you have. Maybe that is signing petitions. Maybe that is writing to your MP. Maybe that is standing up for the issue when you see it before your eyes. Maybe it is listening to your friends and their perspective. Right now, the world is talking about this, and I would be really curious to hear from you guys, like, what insights have you gathered, even in the last few weeks, as this is being talked about? Like, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what all the next steps are, but I think that God has put a lot of people in our church who have wisdom and who have, uh, yeah, helpful contacts and, and who have been thinking about this and have been praying about this, and I would love to make it possible for us to share information with one another so we know how to act. So, We've got a, a church Facebook group. It's called I Attend Rehope Southside. Um, we, we call it I Attend because it's not just for the members of the church. It's for anyone that attends this church. And I'm actually going to invite you to post on our church Facebook group about this. Um, I don't want to start lots of debates and fights and conflicts like okay, discussion and debate are great. Why don't we keep those conversations to, to more like private conversations? Um, but on our church Facebook group, I'm going to post something in a second to start this off. And I would love it if even just under my post, if you could in all the comments, start to share with the church, like what are some articles that you've come across that you find helpful? What are some videos that you, you've watched that you're helpful? Uh, or if you are 
a non-white person in our congregation and you're like, I have experience with this and here's how I see it. I wanna hear from you. Like, please share with your church. Educate us, help us, help us be a part of making a change here. And I really believe that as a church family, we can work together uh, to really make a difference with this. That's my challenge is I'm gonna pray just now and ask God to, to help us and, and to move. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. And Lord God, again, we, we stand before you with humility as, as we recognize, Lord, the sins of our land, the sins in our history and the sins in our present. And Lord God, on behalf of our church, I, I say we're sorry. Lord, we're sorry and we want to learn. Lord, we want to see you reawaken this place to, uh, to the fullest capacity that you can. Lord, we want to see you heal this land. And God, honestly, it can be overwhelming when there's just too much information out there and too many emotions. And sometimes it's hard for us to know how to move forward. So God, I ask, would you help us? Would you bring clarity? Would you give us our next steps? And Lord, we want to see value restored to all people. Lord, because when you made people, you said that they were very good. And I know that you love us all. So Lord, would you lead us and guide us in how you want us to respond in Jesus' name.